Welcome to the School Selector Podcast, the podcast that helps you find the perfect school for your child. Today we're visiting the International School of Rimini. So sit back and relax and let's get to it. First up, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you, Neil. So um, my name is Janneke Arnes. I am originally from Norway. I have been an international educator for the last three decades, and I have the incredible joy now of being the head of school at the International School of Rimini in a lovely coastal city in Italy. And um, it's a beautiful place to be, and I'm fortunate uh, that after having traveled around most recently in the Middle East, coming to uh, to Europe with a rich culture is also um, absolutely a joy for me personally. Wonderful. And give us a quick introduction to the school. So the International School of Rimini is a small, um, relatively new international school. It's a candidate school for the uh, PYP currently. So right now we are a school that tailors to children from the age of three to the age of 11. So from reception to grade five. Our board made the decision just recently to also uh, go into secondary school and open what is um, the equivalent here in Italy to a scuola media. And we're really, really thankful to the board for doing that because it does provide our students an opportunity to progress in our international school environment. So we will also become a candidate school for the MYP. We're aiming to launch that application probably right after the New Year's. And uh, we will have our first grade six students going into then secondary with the current cohort who who will be graduating from, from grade five. So it's an exciting development for a small young international school in a nice, um, progressive, let's say, progressive and traditional um, region of Italy. Wonderful. And uh, give us a quick overview of the school's facilities. So in our school, we have, first of all, a location which is incredibly central. We are right in the middle of the old town of Rimini. Uh, Rimini has this interesting dynamic between being a really old, um, used to be a a medieval town encircled by walls. And then it has the the coastal strip where you have kind of beachfront hotels. So the International School of Rimini is is located in the old town. So we're right near one of the biggest monuments in Rimini. And it's a old arch from the Middle Middle Ages, um, which means... We have a strategic, sorry, strategic central location. Uh, it also means that we have certain limitations because, you know, being in an old medieval town in Italy just immediately makes you understand that there can be challenges with, say, drop off and pick up because the access to the school is a little bit restricted. But um, our building right now for a say, reception to grade five facility and also growing into a secondary facility, we'll be able to tailor to the needs of our student population for for another few years of growth. Uh, The building is big enough for us to expand up to grade 10. And um, the only thing that we will not be able to provide on site is a real uh, solid sports facility. So typically what we have done is what many schools in, in this, I, I think in a similar situation 
as we are, we rent uh, from a sports facility provider. So we want rent what we call the Polisportiva. So we have a collaboration with the big gym, which is only um, a small coach ride away from, or a short coach ride away from the school. But we take our students there for PE lessons uh, every week. And then they have the massive sports facilities that we cannot provide. But otherwise, our school is completely refurbished, very modern inside. Um, we um, we will probably also become a Google reference school, at least that's what we're aiming for. So technology-wise, we're very well equipped. Um, we have a beautiful little garden as kind of an internal courtyard. So um, facilities are cozy, intimate, modern, yet located in an old town. Learn about the things that this school values. So tell us a bit about your school's mission. So the International School of Rimini is founded quite recently. We are only uh, five years old and um, we, are a, we are a candidate school for the IBPYP. So if you think about our mission and the mission of the IB, we are aligned in the, uh, in, in the sense that our mission is to develop um, young individuals who are capable of taking an active part in this world, who will be equipped with the skills necessary to become a um, compassionate, caring individual who's a self-driven learner and who will see themselves as a global citizen with the ability to make an impact on uh, creating a better world. Wonderful. And what does your school excel at, do you think? I think what, what really sets us apart is, of course, the fact that we are a international school, not just because we have international children or internationally minded local families, but because we have a very clear objective of providing an education which sees um, learning through a global lens. And in a local context, that is, of course, quite unique because they um, the schools in our area will be local Italian schools following a national curriculum. So when you have then an international school with truly an international and global curriculum, uh, you see that there's a massive difference in, in the perspectives that the students will gain. And this is really important for us. It's really important that we are able to um, develop young individuals who see themselves in um, in their local context with, uh, with the value of the cultural background that they bring along with them, whether that is an Italian background, a German background, a Korean back background, but also the ability to, to see other people and respect other people's opinions, other people's backgrounds, other people's ways of kind of seeing the world. And together then forming a, a platform for them to learn in where they will become truly globally-minded, tolerant individuals and, um, and citizen of a modern society. Wonderful. And you mentioned moving up into the middle school. Um, concretely, what will that mean for parents? So for parents, obviously, it's a huge relief to know that uh, ISR, or the International School of Rimini, is going to continue not beyond grade five because when you are a small startup school, um, we started off as a primary school, and um, which is, of course, great. Uh, and it's great to have that platform. 
but currently there would be no place for anyone living in the region, whether that's in Rimini town or in the region around, to continue unless we could offer a progression into the secondary school. So, of course, it's really important for our current families, but it's also really important for the industry in uh, in Rimini and in the Romania region because uh, there are lots of companies, uh, for international companies, uh, coming uh, to the north of Italy. There are not that many international schools, so, be, so being in one of one of the, the international schools in this region that can actually provide a continuum of learning, so that students have the real option to to develop into a diploma readiness in an international environment. I think that's absolutely critical for our parents to know. Wonderful, yeah. And you mentioned being a candidate school for the uh, IB primary yeah. years program, uh, yeah. and also considering the middle years program. Um, does the school consider any other um, authorizations or memberships? Yes. So um, we have, in terms of memberships, we have recently become member of the uh, ECIS, so the Educational Collaborative for International Schools. Of course, that's not an accrediting institution, but it is still a really important step for our school because it makes the connection between a small school in Rimini as a you know a, a little hub of internationalism connected to a a more global scene of educators. So it's a it's an important step in our globalization as well as an institution. Um, we are a sister school of the International School of Bologna, and in Bologna, the school is already accredited by both MIASC and CIS. So a, a natural path for the International School of Rimini is also to seek accreditation from these external accrediting bodies, particularly CIS probably as a first step. Um, once we are through with our PYP accreditation, which we believe will happen within the next, say, um, between now and the summer, because uh, say, as a candidate school, we have come to the end of our consultation period. We are ready to, uh, to launch into the actual uh, application for authorization. So, um, so that's the first step for the school. And then um, we are ready to uh, to make the next move into a international accreditation by a you know, non-curricular or non-program aligned uh, institution, such as, for example, NIASC or CIS. Of course, just to add to this, Neil, of course, we are we are an accredited school in Italy as a um, Scuola Internazionale. Um, that operates in Italy, we have, of course, the local uh, the local uh, recognition as a um, as an approved and authorized school to operate in this country. Find out about the people who make up this community. So tell us a bit about the people who uh, work with the students at your school. So that's interesting also when you look at a small school like ours and in a relatively small place, we're still incredibly international. So we have uh, teachers coming from several continents, going from, say, Argentina to the US to Europe. Um, we currently have no staff members from uh, from. Middle East or Asia, but still we have a very solid representation of international educators and local educators with an international background. 
Um, and this represents also, uh, sorry, and this is kind of a good representation also of our family or community composition as well, being that our community is also a mix of local families with an international mindset and international families who have relocated to the region. So our staff members uh, reflect really how our uh, wider communities also um, put together. And let's drill in a little bit into the staff. Um, uh, they, they, um, how long do they? Whoopla! How long do they actually stay on average uh, uh, at the school? So, good question. Uh, we opened in 2018, and we have staff members with us who were part of the founding team. So, of course, we are we are still a young school, sure. um, but many international schools have a natural turnover of teachers, maybe every second year due to contracts. For us, I think the reality will be different. Um, we and, and I would would draw that uh, notion on the fact that we have members who have been with us since the since the foundation, right. and uh, they will uh, definitely want to stay. They so we have today a mix of international educators who came quite recently to Rimini, a um, couple of teachers who started with us this academic year, they have an international background. There is a, there is a possibility that they see themselves as international educators uh, in the sense that they will want to stay for a few years and then maybe move on somewhere else in the world because they already have done that previously in their career. But then we have international educators who are married, who settle, who find that this is such a beautiful place to live. It's an incredible place to, to raise a family. So I'll remain international by being connected to the international school community, but I will stay here and probably work for the school for 10 years, 15 years, who knows? Sure. And are all teachers uh, formally trained as teachers? Yes, they are. So um, we have teachers who are uh, educated in many different countries, uh, but everybody has a formal teacher training. So uh, whether they have their education from the US or uh, from Canada, from Europe, uh, from, from Italy, they have a minimum of a bachelor's degree in education or, uh, of course, also some with a master's degree. And um, do they require a certain amount of experience uh, to work at your uh, school? Uh, ideally, um, I would uh, would definitely want to uh, to attract people with experience, particularly also because we are um, we follow an IB framework and we will become an IB school. And we know that becoming an IB teacher is also something that requires some training. However, that being said, we also see that um, that we. Uh, we need to attract internationally minded people with the right philosophy. And sometimes you find that in somebody who's fresh out of teacher training, who really has that mindset and that desire to make an impact on learning and therefore could be a beautiful fit for our school. So, so as much as I would say, yes, we would probably put that in our uh, vacancy announcements that we are looking for experienced educators, but we have educators who have relatively uh, limited experience and who are gaining their experience with us. I'd say right now we have nobody who's never taught before, but we have somebody who's only been a teacher for two years before coming to ISR. Right. And I guess uh, you have a really 
quite positive staff to student ratio uh, at the school, <laughs> uh, being a small beginning school. Is that right? Yes, yes, uh, that would definitely be correct. Uh, it would almost be a little bit, a um, little bit, uh, not daunting, but to to mention our ra ra ratio would almost seem like we're a one to one school. We're, Indeed. of course, we're not. Indeed. But yes, we. And we which have is great very... for parents. Uh, uh, honestly, yeah. uh, um, I mean, long term, of course, school schools need to 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 have more kids. Uh, yes. But at the beginning, it's wonderful for for, for parents to have that uh, personalized yeah. care, isn't it? Absolutely. The reality now, when we are so small, is that everybody knows everybody. So it doesn't matter if you're the you know the reception teacher; you still know the the children in grade five, and not only the teacher, not only the children who've been with the school since they were in the reception, but everybody who has joined, because everybody know gets to know everybody in such a small community. Um, but eventually, yes, the the ratio will. You know, I think, in in all fairness to uh, to the to the school and the community, we will still have a very healthy ratio, meaning that we will we will have a high number of staff for a relatively modest number of students also when we grow mm -hmm. because of where we are located, because we also aim to have that personalized um, that personalized student centered focus. Let's go back to the parents for a moment. You mentioned that they uh, um you know, reflect uh, the school's community and then uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, the makeup. And that's a really interesting, uh, it's an interesting almost journey to, uh, to outline for us because when we go back to the very beginning of the school, which is not many years ago, the, uh, the school was founded on the initiative of a family in the region who really saw the need for Rimini to expand its educational proposition to the community, knowing that the the region did not have any international schools, but really wanted to bring an international school to uh, the Romania region and to, to Rimini in particular. Now, in the very beginning, in the first opening year, we only had international, sorry, excuse me, we only had uh, local Italian families, but with an international mindset. Now, only five years down the the, the line or kind of five years into our journey, we are starting to balance between 50% 50, uh, 50 local families and 50% international families. So we can see that the school is meeting the needs of the region, being that the larger region around Rimini has a lot of international business. And maybe particularly after COVID, we see that there are more people coming in, coming back in, maybe coming in, but also coming back in. Uh, with an international background. So having had only Italian families in the beginning, we are now balancing between international and inter Italian families. And this year in particular, the majority of the new admissions are coming from the truly international community. And uh, many of them have relocated very recently to uh, our part of the world. Um, what about... Uh in parental involvement in decision making or student learning. Where are you as a school with that? So I'm, pr I'm relatively proud of this because uh, being so new as we are, the, the, you could you could forget about this because you're thinking that oh, it's such a small community, everybody can easily talk with everybody. But we need to formalize our structures. So we started this year with a call to parents to become. 
um, particularly involved as parents ambassadors. So we have, um, we sent out a survey to all our parents and we had great uptake on that. And many, many of our families wanted to engage in the school on a volunteer basis through what we call the parent ambassador committee. So it's not a, it's not a PA or a PTA as such, but it's, I would say it works more like a PA. However, we involve our parents also through their professional networks, through what they do as professionals themselves. See, so that our ambassadors have a maybe a different role than a typical PA that will work with the school for uh, a celebration, for example. We recently right. had a really nice Halloween celebration, but it was done mainly by the school. Uh, our parent ambassador committee, uh, we're meeting now regularly every three weeks, and we are looking at how we can expand our, um, in a way, expand our community through connections. How can we create learning opportunities for our students that reach beyond the, the walls of the school? How can we use our parents as either professionals themselves or as somebody who knows other professionals that could connect to the learning? So our parent ambassadors are going to take a really important role in the school in helping, just helping uh, our school grow uh, into a more locally and globally connected institution. Right. What do your parents say they like the most or love the most about your school? I think they love absolutely this sense of community and uh, that they are connected. Um, Knowing that uh, a school can, especially maybe in, in, a, in a traditional national curriculum school, you, you kind of send your children to school, but there is not this same kind of community building consciously for, from all the stakeholders around the, the child. But here, really, we, we are a community that sees ourselves as a group of individuals who will come together to, uh, to enhance the learning for the children. So, of course, the, the parents really appreciate that they are actively involved, that the threshold to connect with the school is very low, that they can, they can come in, they can share their ideas, and their ideas will be listened to, and um, they can share their constructive uh, feedback to the school, and they know that we are an institution that sees the value in listening to the different parties, whether that's the students, the, the faculty members, the staff members, the parents, because we are all here for the same purpose. We all want to ensure that we can provide the best possible learning opportunity where children can thrive and grow. And we want to do that as a community. And I think that's probably what parents will say as one of the strongest elements that they have seen that the school is delivering on as well. So you, one thing, you know, is having a mission statement saying this, but delivering on that in reality is also uh, easily, I think, easily perceived by the parents. So that's one thing I, I believe, or maybe the, the, the one, if I, if I were to pick up only one thing that they sure. truly appreciate. It's wonderful. And you mentioned the student body. Let's talk a little bit about them now. Uh, tell us about the kids at the school. So the kids at the school are a, uh, a really lovely group of children from the age of three to the age of 10, 11 right now. Um, they are uh, multilingual. 
And that's wonderful to see, particularly knowing that we started with a group of Italian children who only spoke Italian at home, but then started learning in English, seeing that they develop into bilingual learners quite, quite quickly. Now, uh, with our international uh, community as well. We have students with neither English nor Italian when they come to the school, yet the children know that there are so many ways of communicating. And I think that's another beautiful thing about the way we learn, that we learn through that global lens where uh, where we de develop not only knowledge, but also skills. And communication being a skill that we're conscious about developing, we see that our students really know how to integrate new people, how to make them feel comfortable, how to make them uh, find their place, even when their voice might not be understood uh, because they do not speak the same language to begin with. But they have developed this sense of um, of um, community where they will embrace new children easily and, and help them in that journey. And I also uh, see that our students um, know that they have a voice and uh, in, in many other respects as well, and they can right. stand up for something that they think is important for our community. And that's also another beautiful thing to see that you go from being in a way, I don't know, not just being a part of a mass and then becoming a strong agent in a community where you understand even at a very young age that my voice has a purpose, my voice ha my voice matters. And I think that's something that I really appreciate seeing in our own students. Yeah, it's incredibly valuable, isn't it? Yeah. And if I were to ask some of your students, uh, as maybe one day I'll pop by and, uh, yeah. and, and say hello to them, uh, um, I thought I was to ask them uh, what they love most about the school. What do you think they would tell me? I think they love that they can be active. I think they love that they are not sitting in rows working on worksheets, but that they are walking around the classroom doing different things in different in a different tempo, uh, that they're not all uh, forced to do the same thing at the same time, but that they can take control of their own learning in a much more independent manner. Um, I think that they absolutely love that they all know each other uh, and mm. that they can play together. I think they, I do think that they appreciate that they have um, easy access to the educators in the sense that they, they see the value of being in a small community. Of course, I also have to acknowledge that that this can be a challenge. You know, some of those things that we see as a, an advantage can also have a flip side. Of course, it is a small community and that's not always great. However, I don't think that many of our students will pick that up as a negative at this point. I've not heard that that they feel that it's limiting to be few. Uh, so, um, Especially so not from, with young children, I think. Exactly. Perhaps yeah. the challenges may come with the 14, 15 Yes. senior-olds in the future of the school, but not now. Yeah, but then hopefully we will also grow our size so um, we can grow with our students and provide them a richer, uh, you know, a richer environment, rich in the sense of, of multiple people. Because you do need to find, you know, you need to find your, in a way, your tribe or your crew. And, and when you're a child, as you say, that's much easier when you're a teenager that you become more selective. Um, but I hope that one of the things that we have by then instilled in our students will be this this sense of of tolerance and acceptance and open-mindedness uh, towards others. 
learn about the different sections of the school. So let's focus in on your youngest children, the early years program. Uh, when can kids join you, first of all? So they can join when they are three. And uh, they need to be, they need to uh, have turned three by the time they join the school. Um, we have currently an early years program for, or not currently, sorry. We have an early years program that covers three grade levels. We call them reception, kindergarten, and transition. Obviously, then transition is the year that becomes most academic because they are transitioning into the uh, the first year of uh, of the the um, the primary when the when they go into grade one, so our program is still a uh, an uh, following an IB structure in the sense that we we use the IB framework and the PYP framework. And I should be careful with using these acronyms, particularly when we're you know we're, we're in a school environment. We think that everybody knows what I'm talking about, but the PYP means the primary years program. It's the International Baccalaureate program for early years and primary school. So it really covers the age from, from say, three-year-olds to uh, grade five when they are um, 10, 11. We use the same framework in our early years, uh, but we, of course, spend more time on each unit of inquiry, and we have less units that we cover in the scope of a year. Um, simply because our younger younger learners they need more time, we are we would also say that we are largely play based, particularly for our early years program, and uh, most certainly so for reception and kindergarten. But what does it mean to be play based, Neil? It's not it's not free play um, from morning to to afternoon. It is a structured approach to play, but giving children kind of prompts or, or say a provocation or a, a big idea that they can explore together and individually through play-based approaches to learning. So they're not sitting down at the, at the table working um, very quietly, but they're rather given a big idea that they need to investigate and they will do investigation by, by walking around, by looking, by finding things. They're their kind of exploratory um, territory might not be large because sometimes that happens just inside the classroom. But sometimes it happens in a wider environment as well. And they spend quite a lot of time also outside. OK, so let's, um, I'll just go back quickly to, to uh, the beginnings. Uh, they turn three. Are they allowed to join at any time when they turn three through the school year? Or uh, do they have to begin at certain moments for either first semester or second semester? How does that work? So, yes, a good question, because in, in the, uh, uh, in the um, reception class, of course, we will say we, we do have a rolling admissions in the school. Um, however, we, uh, we would, they, they need to be, they need to have turned three when they start. So it means that if they, if they do turn three, um, at the beginning of the academic year, or they've just turned three at the beginning of the academic year in August, no. it's fine. It's very easy. Um, and it's simply because we, we want to be sure that we are not, you know, advancing them too quickly. 
there is something in Italy called an anticipated start, um, which the Italian public school system follows, where you can start if you have not turned. So their cutoff is different because they go from January. We go from August. But from January to March, if you are two in January, you can still start. Um, that is not the case for, for us. We do not do this anticipated start. So they really need to have uh, turned three before the start of our academic year when when reception starts, say, in uh, in August. So anyone who has any not other, turned three. Are there any other conditions attached? Do they need to be toilet trained or uh, yes. how does that work? Yes, uh, we do require them to be toilet trained um, simply because we are a school and not a nursery. So that also goes to the, the training of our staff members. They are teachers, not, uh, not nursery uh, educated. So um, toilet training is really important. Now, we do recognize that our learners are young and uh, that uh, some of them are still used to uh, taking a nap in the afternoon. And they get quite exhausted also from even uh, oh. from being in school for many hours. So we we do have nap time in the afternoon, um, but uh, the conditions, yes, for for admissions would be toilet trained and that they have turned three by the time they join us in August of the year they start reception. And occasional accidents are okay, uh, but just just not every every day, I guess. Is that yes. right? Yes, yeah, sure. that is uh, that we can't. We when it would be absolutely wrong to say that that would uh, not be uh, be permitted because you know the excitement, uh, the excitement for a child uh, being very preoccupied with with something and totally forgetting about uh, having to go on time. That could all absolutely happen, even with somebody who has who's well past their toilet training. Uh, the same with uh, with a nervous, you know, a nervous situation can also cause a, a young child to forget a little bit about um, exactly. what they, yeah, okay. things like that. So, yes, well, absolutely. Hard those are no. uh, in no, some no, schools, no. they're, they're uh, you know, very, very strict. But, yeah. um, but but the general setup should be that uh, the students are able to, to, to plan their toilet breaks. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, what facilities do the do the do the youngest students enjoy? So they definitely enjoy their classroom um, because we have a very large space for them where they have lots of uh, I'd say kind of almost like lots of different centers in the in the classroom and it's set up with a, a variety of um, of areas where they they focus on different things. So even going into the classroom is kind of an exploration in itself. And the teachers are really good at making that, that room change so it doesn't look the same all, all the time. So that's one thing. They also love being in our library. Uh, and even if we are a small school, we, we do have a library which is growing with our, with our population as well. So we're constantly expanding on what we can offer in our library. Uh, we have a specialized art room, which the younger students also definitely love going to because we uh, we have a specialist um, arts teacher who then provides really an, another opportunity to explore their, their creative talents. Um, they love being out in our garden. Um, we would like to develop our garden into more a real garden. I mean, it is a garden right now because it's it's a completely enclosed, so it's perfectly safe. 
um, but it's not a flower garden or tree garden as such. There, there are some trees, but one of our big think projects that we would love to launch and work together with our students on is to make it a more ecological garden. So, so it will take more shape uh, as such in the future, hopefully. And I think that's something that the little ones will definitely love being part of as well, because they will be able to maybe grow their own vegetables. So when they try, you know, they explore change, for example, they will be able to really do a, a deep analysis of what change looks like when they follow a growth of something. So that's important to our program. And, and describe a typical day for, for uh, the youngest children. Uh, maybe it changes over the three years, but if you could give us a picture of when they start and how long they're expected to be there and whether there's any flexibility around half day or full day. Yeah. Um, start and end time is the same for all three grade levels. So from reception to transition, they start at um, 8.50 in the morning. We open our, our doors at 8.30, meaning that parents can, can drop off. We have a 20-minute um, time period in the morning for drop-off. So it's quite, you know, it's quite um, comfortable uh, with, the, with that um, flexibility. 8.50 is when our period one starts or the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the circle time in the morning starts for the little ones and they have a check-in. And we focus always on, on well-being and on mindfulness in the morning to really set them, you know, get them settled into the, the learning uh, situation. Then the day finishes at uh, 3.20, um, which is literally just 10 minutes before the, the rest of the school finishes. But that gives just enough staggered time for the youngest ones to be dismissed to their parents before the older right. students are dismissed. But you did ask if there was some flexibility. And yes, Neil, there is, because we have learners in reception who are not ready to go from maybe having been at home to doing a full day away from home. So we uh, we offer the opportunity for a half day for our reception children. And if they do opt for that, they will stay with us until lunch and then they will go uh, home before we we start having lunch together. And you know, many parents uh, of young children, early years children, uh, are particularly interested in, in how the school approaches uh, learning to read and write. Um, uh, could you give us a, a sort of picture of, of the school's uh, position in that? Yes. Uh, so as I mentioned, we are play-based in our philosophy. So we will definitely take a maybe a less rigorous approach to this than what some of the schools that would be typical for our parents, at least the local community, to, to compare us to. However, we are very conscious about the individual child's development and we would would uh, look at each and every child and see where are they what are what are their individual readiness so that we can make sure that we can progress them based on their own readiness to to become readers or become writers for example uh, in our in our transition year we have a much more collective focus where we have a um, a designated uh, approach to teaching phonics, to teaching uh, literacy, and to really start preparing the students for not only the transition in terms of skills readiness, but also the academic understanding that that they 
become more um, prepared to to approach learning through reading and writing consciously and also right. through mathematics. Okay. Um, let's move on now to uh, primary elementary age students. Um, you use um, uh, the American style uh, class naming, is that right? Grade one through to grade five? Yes. Okay. So, And your primary age uh, students uh, generally would then go from transition, as you call it, through to grade one. Yeah. Um, which would be the equivalent, I guess, of uh, UK year two, um, different names everywhere. Yes, um, yes. But uh, uh, it's always complicated. Um, it is. Uh, tell us about that transition into uh, uh, primary or elementary school. Um, uh, does, do things change dramatically for the students when they move into grade one? I wouldn't say that things change dramatically because already knowing that we follow the same pedagogic framework, being that we we are following the International Baccalaureate framework from reception all the way through to grade five, they will already be familiar with the terminology for learning. They will already be familiar with you know, the teachers in the school because it's a small school. Um, the likelihood of children having been in joint classes now that we are so small is also very high. That's a high probability at the moment because we have combined grades. So in that sense, the, the transition is not a dramatic transition for the children. The day does not get much longer. As I said, the, um, from grade one, we, f we start at the same time. So 8.50 is the start of the day. We finish at 3.30. So that's only 10 minutes longer. So there's no big difference there. One of the bigger shifts when you move from early years into the elementary school is that you, we introduce more specialist teachers. They're still a homeroom teacher and the majority of the time they will be with their homeroom teacher, but they will have Italian and they go to an Italian class that would be for all our learners, whether they are uh, Italian mother tongue learner or speakers or they are uh, Italian language learners. So all our students in grade one, they split into um, two groups, one for mother tongue, one for Italian language acquisition. And we have specialist teachers for that. I mentioned the, earlier that we have a specialist arts teacher. And um, of course, they have um, the from grade one, they have also the they go with the specialist teacher, not with the homeroom teacher to do art. The same for PE. So physical, physical and sports education, they, they do also have with a specialist teacher. Now, that that is one that's one shift that there will be more teachers uh, for the students to relate to, which is part of their development as, as well. And it's good for, for students to be exposed to different approaches to teaching because it helps them understand that there are different ways of learning as well. Um, the units of inquiry expand from four in the uh, early years program to six in uh, the uh, primary years program from grade one to grade five. So they will be a little bit, it will intensify their learning a little bit. We are expecting the students also to, of course, be able to gradually year by year go deeper and deeper in their research around the different conceptual understandings that we want them to develop through the program. Right. And of course, there will be um, 
the introduction of homework, which is not really a part of the early years program. Occasionally, there could be maybe a project that the students in early years will bring home and we want them to talk about it. But in grade one, we, we are going a little bit beyond that and introducing some home learning. As a school... Are you Sorry, Neil, ask the no, question. So you mentioned language learning. Um, yeah. Uh, Italian for everybody. Yes. Um, and uh, English is the uh, language of instruction. Yes, um, it is. And, uh, and language is all pervasive uh, in PYP schools, uh, as we know. Let's talk about um, developing mathematical and scientific skills for a moment. Yeah. Uh, again, something that uh, uh, many parents are very interested in, especially in, in the inquiry-based learning environment, uh, yes. you know, how that's actually ran uh, yeah. in the school. And, and you're absolutely right. This is something that uh, parents are very interested in knowing about. It's also something that we recognize that parents find quite challenging to see when, particularly if they are new to the, uh, the IB philosophy, because this, you know, that interdisciplinary approach and learning through conceptual understanding and learning through inquiry is so incredibly different from learning in the traditional school setting where a national curriculum is so much more prescribed and it's more siloed than standalone. So we do, we do recognize that we have to educate our parents also for them to really fully see how their children learn. They just learn differently. It's not that they're not learning the same things because they learn absolutely reading, writing and mathematics. They will learn science, particularly a little bit further up in the uh, in uh, in the uh, primary grade levels. But even if we are a IB, um, even if we follow an IB program and even if we uh, have the inquiry approach to uh, to learning, we do recognize that there are elements of language learning and there are elements of mathematics that need to be taught more in a traditional manner as standalone uh, entities. So we have parts, and this will not, if you looked at our schedule, you will, might not see it on our schedule because that all depends on, on the unit of inquiry and how it fits in with the unit. But some, some weeks there might be a higher focus on mathematics and there will be pure math standalone lessons where they learn the basics. Mathematics is really a stepping stone. You cannot progress in math unless you make sure that you have your, you know, a solid foundation. So we use um, a particular math resource, resource, which is well adapted for a primary years program. We use that as the textbook for our learners. Um, and uh, it helps also the parents understand that there is a, you know, a progress, a progressional development of the ma mathematics skills. For language uh, learning, meaning reading and writing skills, both in English and in Italian, we have, as I mentioned, the phonics program. Uh, we also, of course, work on the children's um, uh, yes, ability to to learn how to of course how to read how to write um, and we focus on that in both languages both Italian and in English of course so um, so in math and English there is a combination of a more traditional approach but I am careful to use the term tradition tra traditional because I don't think that the majority of parents 
particularly if new to the PYP, would see it equally as traditional. But so when I mean traditional, it means that it's separated from the integrated uh, conceptual uh, concepts, but rather taught as single, say, single sessions, um, so that we are sure that grammar and mathematics are covered thoroughly in the program. Yeah, so this is a, a, a challenge, um, for instance, in Italy, I guess, uh, because, uh, you know, the local system is a very um, traditional system uh, yes. uh, in terms of these areas, and and rigor is uh, defined differently in different contexts. Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. As you know, and so uh, one of those big challenges, but, and I guess balancing between uh, the expectations of international parents and also uh, uh, the local parents uh, uh, is always an issue as well. Yeah. We are we're hosting a workshop for parents uh, now just after the uh, just after the midterm break, and this is something that we see a great value in for our community. And um, a lot of parents simply need the reassurance, and they need to understand better. So, you know, you can we can approach this the same way as we do with our learners. We can, in a way, unpack a lesson together with parents, and they will see that. Yes, it's very different from what they have in their head as, as typically what you do um, in terms of learning. But when you, when you unpack it and when you understand the complexity of the content and how interconnected everything is, I think parents generally develop a greater appreciation for the program. So for us as an institution, it's really important to, to value that our parents are also learners, and we will take on the role of, of helping them access our learning so that they can really truly feel comfortable with where their children are and where they're going when they have opted for uh, an international education like, like the one we can offer at ISR. And, and you know, I know that you're not um, offering the Middle Years program yet, but you will be. For yeah. a parent who's listening to this, who's got a student maybe who's nine, ten years old, uh, considering uh, a move, um, what kind of picture could you paint for them around uh, uh, the grade six, seven, eight program that you will be offering uh, in the next years? So again, when parents have the opportunity to continue in an international education and not make that shift from an international education into a national school system, they also can feel reassured that their children will continue to, to develop both the skills and the knowledge and the uh, ability to apply their knowledge in very different contexts. And I think that's a real value in itself because the, 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 the middle years program, of course, builds on the skills that have been developed through the primary years program. And we know how learning is so much more valuable when children have the ability to, to see something that they have learned and understand how they can apply that in a completely different context outside of school and see, okay, now I'm, I, I do, I understand this because I learned this and that and I see the connections. So that, of course, is something that the middle years program provide a continuum for. 
And they will again go deeper. They will expand into learning more languages. They will go deeper in the sciences. They will also have programs that focus on service learning and action where students can really become agents of change in their local environment and, and start developing that understanding that it's not, I'm not coming to school only to receive, but I'm coming to school to, to give something back, to be able to apply myself in a manner that will matter to someone. And I start small in my local community, but, but that is simply because we want all our learners to be able to see themselves as individuals who have the, the, um, that, understanding of, of themselves as somebody who can make a difference. So that component of taking action is also a very important component that becomes a strong element of a middle year's education. Explore all the other things that happen at this school. Another area that's always of interest to parents are co-curricular, after school activities, extracurricular, they have so many different names, but basically it's uh, the school's approach to uh, uh, the add-ons, the other things, the things that uh, are, don't form part of the core curriculum. Um, how does your school approach that? So Neil, right at the moment, we have not had any after school activities uh, to offer our students. And it's really interesting to see how the school community is shifting because a, starting with a very local community, the Italian school systems will not offer any after school activities. It's not part of, you know, it's not part of the program. So in the very beginning, this was not something that our parents were particularly focused on. But the more international we become in our community, the more important it is for us as a school to be able to also offer this as an opportunity for our students. So we have already started planning to introduce activities, uh, hopefully already starting in January. So for our term two, we will, we will have maybe our launch of after school activities. And we are, we are approaching this as a, you know, typical from an international perspective. We want to offer as, uh, as many activities as possible that can cover breadth of interest areas for our students because we really want to be a community that values in individual students' passion. Um, they cannot do everything in school because we have limited number of hours that we spend together. So the things that we cannot offer in school, we'd like to offer them after school. Right now, for example, music is something that is not um, offered in our school. So we obviously would love to offer music as an after school program. And um, I mentioned earlier that we don't have great sports facilities, but we do collaborate with the Polisportiva and we go and have sports there. So, uh, but still we don't have a team. So for example, we have talked, we have some passionate football players or soccer players and some, some students who are passionate about basketball. They'd love for the school to have a team. So this is something we can offer if we open up for after school activities. And um, and that's definitely something that a growing school like ISR will will expand into. And it becomes more and more important because of the international community, because they are not necessarily able to enter a local club uh, or they might not find that relevant because they might not be staying for long enough. Or maybe that's not where their children's friends are, because they will create, you know, their friends will be in our school community. So even though... 
at this moment, I cannot give you a list of the activities we offer. We will be growing into a community that offers after-school activities that will cover various interest areas. And one thing I'd like to add to that is to tell you a little bit that kind of connects this with the, the, the mission and the vision of the school in terms of putting the student in the center. We will offer activities that our students are interest, interested in, in the sense that we will not be sitting in our office making decisions that, okay, let's offer these things, but rather listen to the voice of the students. What, what would they love to do after school and how can we make that, you know, happen for them? And that's uh, another ambition we have as a school that we will be able to really, um, really take that student voice very seriously in, in all areas. And, um, and by showing them also if they, if they have an initiative that they want to run, we can run it together as an after-school activity. Find out what this school believes about specific topics. You mentioned earlier um, giving time to well-being. Um, uh, what role does uh, you know well-being play in in your school? And what is it, first of all, perhaps to you, yeah. uh, for parents who are not sure uh, what that is? <laughs> that's really that, that's probably a very good question. What is well-being? Um, obviously, well-being is many things. If we look at it from, say, I choose to pick out some elements of what we call the IB learner profile. Um, those are a, a list of attributes that uh, any IB school, whether it's here in Italy or anywhere else in the world, wants to, to, um, want to develop in their, uh, in their students or in their learners, as well as in, in anyone uh, in their community. So it goes for, for us as educators as well. In the learner profile, you have uh, you have um, an attribute uh, such as principled. You have an attribute of being caring. You have an attribute of being balanced. And I just consciously consciously chose those three just to give you an example, Neil, of how we focus on well-being through various lenses, allowing our students to feel first of all safe when they come to school. So of course, it's a fundamental priority. Um, they need to be able to feel that it's a safe place to be, uh, both physically, socially, mentally, uh, academically. And, um, and we need to help our students develop an understanding on how, of how they can express themselves. And we start that very consciously from the age of three, because through developing this, um, they, they the children's understanding of themselves, who they are and how they can express how they feel. We also give them a voice that they can use if something is not okay for them. And that's really, that's really an important part of developing a safe area for children. And, and then, then they can be principled, then they can be both open-minded and balanced because they have a voice to express themselves. So, um, so I think that's, that's a very conscious focus we have. We, and I, I did mention earlier that we actually start every morning with a focus on well-being, even from the age of three. This will grow into, for those of our parents, listeners who are used to international school environments, and particularly those who might have older children, they might have heard of programs such as advisory programs. For example, where in the secondary school you have a 
a portion of the day or or a portion of the week which is designated to topics that revolve around building your understanding for self and others and uh, and and dealing with some of the challenging you know challenging maybe emotional socio emotional um um topics but we st- right. we started very we spa- started very young so that we have a focus on uh, allowing balance time is also very important an important component of well-being that we give our students enough time to work independently so that we can minimize a sentiment of stress in the school situation i think um having just read a lot about you know globe the global perspective of how younger and younger children globally feel stressed i find that to be very worrying and um and we are very conscious about giving our students a a balanced day where they have time to um time to take break they have time to eat they have time to play but they have time also to complete their work in a non-stressful manner meaning that they have you know uh, time on their own as well so there are so Pretty many important. things to the well-being and and you know, let's get back to sort of um maybe a parent perspective how do you manage um student behavior are you you know are you, are you giving detentions are you smacking kids <laughs> are you what are you doing uh uh you know uh in terms of um uh when my kid does something wrong so uh we would definitely not uh turn to any physical uh, approaches at <laughs> I didn't all think so, <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> no, we we um, without it being a explicit policy but there's something called restorative practices some of our parents might be familiar with this others will feel that this is a you know just another uh, jargon from the school environment that they do not understand but what we what we try to develop in all our young learners is um to be an upstander and to speak up for themselves but to speak up for others we also teach children to reflect on the their actions if an action has not been a good action we will we will take time to unpack that action with the child so that they can understand what what might not have been a good course of uh, of action and why it wasn't because sometimes they a child might do something and not understand that it has a negative impact on others and therefore instead of you know jumping to a uh, don't do this or 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 no without any explanation we take the time to unpack a situation with the child and we call this kind of restorative practices because we want children to be under, to be able to understand what they did and why it was not right and how they themselves could make a different choice the next time so and this is something that requires time and attention and a and a and a considerable focus from the adults but it's definitely a um a strategy that is worth investing in because it helps our learners develop into caring holistic individuals and when that is not to say that that nobody will ever make a mistake or do something wrong or 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 breach an agreement but they will know 
um, they will know how to reflect on it and how to make better choices in the future. And therefore, I'm, I chose the word agreement because instead of having a set of rules that are don't do's, we tend to create together with our learners a, an essential agreement of do's, the things that we will do. So we focus rather on the things we will do instead of the things that we shouldn't do, because by focusing on the positive, we have also actions that we can take when one of those essential agreements are breached. Okay. And um, another area that's particularly uh, interesting to parents is homework. You mentioned it earlier yeah. um, and you mentioned stress as well. Yeah. How do you manage uh, that um, interaction between uh, wanting kids to uh, achieve and excel, and at the yeah. same time helping them uh, enjoy their learning. Yeah, and it's really, I think really the fundamental to learning is that they enjoy their learning. Um, that is not to be misunderstood, it shouldn't be misunderstood as that we are only looking to have fun. Absolutely not. School is rigorous in itself. It, the whole concept of school is a, a rigorous structure. But it is really important, uh, and I think as adults we re we recognize it that we 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 absorb new things easier and better if we you know if we're inspired by something or if it's if it's meaningful to us. So we need to create that same environment for our learners that it is purposeful, meaningful, intentional, and that they can have a good time with it, um, and that they're not overburdened. Um, learning is not necessarily happening just by doing more of the same thing. So homework is often doing just more of the same thing. It does not mean necessarily that they will learn more by doing that. Nor is it, um, nor does the research show that that children learn more simply because they are given more homework. I think maybe on the contrary, they learn they learn more if they find value and purpose in what they're doing. So. Instead of focusing heavily on homework, we um, we focus on uh, on creating an understanding that learning does not only happen between eight fifty and eight thirty. No, sorry, three thirty. So not from the start to the end of the the day in school. Learning sure. is something that happens all the time, and some and all children are different. So some children really thrive if they can have projects to work on or maybe something that will extend their, their their learning that they can do at home because they want that and they they thrive on it others have busy schedules because they i don't know play tennis for example three times a week and it would be really stressful if they had homework from one day to the next all the time so we try to create an opportunity for our families to be mindful of how they can support their children and their children's learning at home by both giving assignments that can be completed over time. So they would be maybe weekly extension opportunities to, um, to ex extend the learning at home if that is something that benefits the child. Uh, we also have a, um, resources that parents can use at home because some children just simply love maybe doing math problems, solving math problems. So there are so many incredible resources online that they can uh, that they can use, and we can help our parents uh, choose the right ones that are beneficial. One thing that we do want all our students to do is to develop a an a 
a self-driven desire for reading. So we do focus quite a lot on helping our uh, our children select books from our library that they take home. They do not read them in school, uh, but they they're deliberately books that they shall take home so that they can practice their reading, but also expand on that simple love for for literature at home. So for us, I would say compared to an Italian school system, we probably far less rigorous when it comes to learning, but it's because we take a different approach to it um, and really want to uh, to value that children are different and that more of the same is seldom a benefit for any for anyone. Right. And one of the things that uh, I sometimes hear is, is, you know, transitioning back uh, after this kind of learning um you know oh i you know i love it i love it many parents say oh it sounds so wonderful i'd love it but when i go back to wherever that is um what's your experience there very often what i hear when you know, children have had the opportunity to be uh, to to uh, grow in an international school setting and going back, particularly if, go, if going back means going into a traditional national school uh, system, whether that is in Italy or somewhere else in the world, um, they miss maybe that more collaborative approach that they have been used to. They miss being active learners and um, they find it more challenging to become recipients uh, of um, the uh, this the notion of being spoon fed what you need to be able to reproduce for a test that's less rewarding so i think that's the biggest challenge i think students might uh, or learners might face when going back if going back is understood as going into national curriculum right. but the benefit is intrinsic isn't it it uh, it's lives with yeah. the child uh, uh, i think from my perspective anyway um, absolutely you know, um, and i think that's a, uh, it's not a reason not to do it uh, no, uh, absolutely. quite the opposite yeah. yeah and i think one thing um, that let's they talk really... about learning support for a moment uh, yeah. um you, you know uh, children don't always uh, uh develop at the same rate and sometimes uh students need help uh, at one point in their yeah. their educational growth uh, uh what kind of learning support do you provide uh, at the school? So right at the moment, because we are so small, we have a little bit of that luxurious situation where we can provide individualized learning plans for our students without having a um, maybe a, a um, particular department in our school that is designated yeah. to be the learning support department. Uh, however, this is definitely an area that will expand and we as well as a school will grow into a size where we will have specialist teachers who are particularly qualified to provide specialist support for learning for our students, specifically when we grow into the middle school because the learning needs um, both from an academic perspective, but also maybe from a behavioral management perspective um, will become more complex. So um, at the moment, we are looking at the individual learners and creating these plans in collaboration often with our in, kind of internally between our program coordinator, 
me as the uh, the principal or head of school um and um the family as well and of course the the homeroom teacher we have um uh, children with um wh- who are on various you know various levels of learning who need different kinds of accommodation and at the moment we have the ability to to provide that we also have a part-time uh, educator in our school who is uh in a more fluid and flexible um teaching position simply for this purpose as well to be able to give personalized attention maybe to an individual student so um and i so guess we, the nature of your school you know the size and and, and how it's composed means that uh, students are almost by default yes. uh, receiving a, a high yes. level of personalized care yes absolutely um, which just, is one of the the big advantages of school uh, absolutely schools, is it not? yeah and then we are also uh, conscious that we have to set up systems and structures so that we are you sure. know that we are scalable in our structure as well as we are growing as a school right and and for many parents uh, attendance is also an issue especially yeah. for international parents uh, uh you know national systems are obviously often very strict in this regard uh you know parent who comes from the USA who, who wants to, to, to take a, a three-week winter break um, and the school holiday add a week on. Uh, where are you uh, in that regard? So we um, are, as an international school, creating an academic calendar that provides opportunities for our parents to be, you know, a little bit more in a way, flexible with their holidays, simply because our calendar has already taken that into consideration. So we have a longer winter break, we have a longer, we have a spring break, we have half-term breaks, and this um, this is simply to meet the this requirement to, that international families have because they do not necessarily have their wider community or family community in uh, in and around Rimini. So. I think that that definitely helps so that we're not following the Italian um, national uh, school calendar, but rather an internationally, again, internationally minded calendar. Um, We would be very conscious not to um, not to inspire our parents to think too flexibly about um, about, you know, missing school. Because it is really important that the children spend as much as time as, as possible for their own sake with us. So as much as we might be more flexible, understanding that there are unique circumstances that will um, sometimes be outside the, the family control. And instead of then making it difficult for families, we, we will work with the families. But again, we will also not necessarily say that, yes, if you want four weeks in Aruba, go ahead. That's wonderful. Please do that every year. I said, no, we, we, we take the, we take the learning situation in school very seriously. And we hope that, um, that our families also see the, the need for their children to be present in that learning situation. Find out about all the practical stuff you need to know. So let's get down to the practical stuff uh, uh, of um, of sending your child to school. Is there a dress code at the school? Yes, there is. So we have an ISR school uniform. It is a very it's a very nice uniform uh, consisting of a, um, a polo shirt, a um, 
a nice pair of pants or a skirt or uh, shorts. The colors are relatively neutral. They're navy blue and white, and uh, they are branded with the school logo. We have also a, uh, I would call it a hoodie. I know we use different words, but a zip, <laughs> a, a zip, um, zip with a hood, um, which uh, is really comfortable when it's a little bit cooler outside. Um, we have our uniform provider uh, personalizes the uh, the items, so uh, most of our children will have their name on the back, which is really nice. They they're really proud of it, and uh, it's um, it's a it, very important for us is that the clothes are they're smart casual and very comfortable for the children and they can be ordered online they are delivered uh, to the school and uh, very easily picked up by by the parents we of Is it course expensive? um no they are no they are absolutely and very reasonable and therefore it's um, it's not difficult for the school to suggest that even you know you 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 can buy the t-shirts or 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 polo shirts and sweatshirts from the school because they really doesn't really matter if you buy a uniform or or if you've gone to one of the you know the chains that could offer a a low cost mm. so we're low cost uniform okay and mm. what about food uh, what does the school do in that regard Daniel, we are in Italy and food is really a significant, yes, has a very, very important uh, position in our culture. And uh, so, uh, so it does also in our school. We really appreciate our lunch time together with our students as an opportunity to, to also sit down together and enjoy a proper meal. So we have a catering company that provides a hot lunch uh, service for our students and staff members. And um, of course, because we are a school, we do not cook on site. That's also not appropriate in uh, following the you know, national health um, regulations. So the company will come in and um, we have a uh, dining hall where we sit together with our students, tables of four or five. And we are served a three-course meal. Um, all our students learn to eat properly with uh, with cutlery, with plates, and um, we are conscious also about um, our uh, you know our eco um, approach. So um, so we um, we do not use uh, single waste plastic. We uh, we have proper cutlery and, and plates. We rather wash them so that we have multi-use. So this, the lunch is served as a typical Italian primo, typical secondo, which means a starter, a main course, and a, a dessert. The dessert is not uh, necessarily, it's not, it's not cake and, uh, and cookies, but rather fruit or, um, or something more, something more healthy, but a, a proper, uh, warm meal and, um, and all our students eat together, um, and we eat together with the, with this, with the students. Right. And kids with special dietary, uh, um, needs, are, are they, yep. their needs met as well? Absolutely. I think, um, I heard our, uh, our collaborators say that, um, they had about a hundred different variations of dietary, you know, requirements that they can tailor to. There is nothing that they could not provide for. So obviously in our society today, we do have a, a, quite a few children who have various dietary requirements, mm. not a problem. And we also have staff members who choose to have particular, you know, particular 
dietary requirements, whether that would be because you choose you're vegan, vegetarian, doesn't no no challenge at uh, challenge at all. It's still very tasty, and um, and provides good variation for everyone. And value? How much uh, would a parent expect to be paying for for, for lunches? So I will pick up our uh, fees oh. so uh, so that I can reference this correctly. So if you look at a, uh, I'll quote this as an annual lunch fee. The oh. uh, parents would today pay just under fifteen hundred euros per year. Okay, that's um, relatively reasonable. That is really that is reasonable when you divide that into um, you know into all the the, the days 181 learning days uh, you're left with a very reasonable amount of money considering then that you're eating um, a full you know a full three course meal um, every day. Right, and and uh, does the school offer transportation, busing, or or the equivalent? So we do not offer any transportation which is organized by the school. However, we, uh, we have families who have gone together because they live in a, a relative um, vicinity of each other. And they have organized a uh, what we call a pulmino, which is not a bus because it's smaller than a bus, but it's uh, sort of a, a, um, a van-sized um, you know, car that can take up to 13 mm. students. So um, at the moment, the school does not need to offer any particular transport, um, but parents um, do go together. And we, we use this as an example also for, for new families looking at our school, because it's enough that there are three families living relatively near to each other. It would make sense to, uh, to go together and kind of pool um, for a, um, for a, a joint transportation opportunity. Discover how much everything is going to cost. So, we always get to the money uh, at one point or another. Let's uh, uh, drill into that now. Uh, could you help us understand the costs and fee structure uh, of the school? Maybe starting off with enrolment fees or uh, associated uh, fees when you want to come. Yes. So we have uh, what we call an admissions fee and a registration fee, and um, the uh, there is a kind of a one-off uh, admissions fee, uh, which is a non-refundable fee. It's currently seven hundred uh, euros for early years mm-hmm. and eight hundred euros for uh, grades one to five. Um, that will remain the same also when we go into the middle school. So it will remain at 800 euros. And what does that mean? What does that do? So the admissions fee is more a, say, an administrative handling fee for the school to uh, consider the, um, the the whole admissions process and the uh, document collection, the, assess- the, um, the evaluation of, uh, of admissions. So that is kind of a commitment that the families make when they're truly interested in considering admissions to the school. They will pay the admissions fee in order for the school to to go further with okay. um, the enrollment procedure. And the other fee you mentioned? And then the other, the registration fee, that's an annual fee, uh, and it is a similar. It's, uh, it is 700 for early years and 800 for 
uh, grades one and above. And that is paid on an uh, annual basis. Is that in addition basis. to the admissions fee for these parents who are coming uh, yes. for the first time? Yes, okay. that is Understood. an addition. Right. Yeah, and that's the... And that's there an, any, um, sorry, carry on. Sorry, sorry, Neil. So the registration fee is uh, is something that is paid on an annual basis. So you pay that every year for the re-enrollment as well. And are there any deposits or, or or monies that are held by the school uh, in your context? No, no, no okay. nothing. Um, and and what about then the annual fee? How does that uh, look for the younger children, for the older children? What are we looking at? So if I uh, look now at our current uh, academic year, the uh, the fees vary. I mean, the fees vary, and they of course they will do that in the future as well. So. The early years uh, fee, so that the kind of the the lowest tuition fee, and I'm quoting now an annual amount, is seven thousand three hundred and eighty-six euros. I was very specific, so that's our uh, early years fee um, for reception, and then we have increments uh, throughout uh, the kindergarten and transition. And we go up to, I'll quote then the highest fee, which is currently then our grade five, which this oh. uh, this year is 15,285 euros per year. So you, so it means we have a, a tuition fee span that goes from say uh, 700, no, sorry, sorry, 7,386 to 15,285. Understood. And can people pay that? Uh in um, installments or is it an upfront fee one-off? How is that structured? So generally we divide our tuition fee into three annual installments. So uh, they are paid um, at the beginning of the year, they're paid um, kind of mid-year and towards mid-spring. So um, before the end of the academic year, the full annual tuition will have been paid, but you do not have to pay everything upfront. Um, one okay. thing that I should mention also, uh, Neil, is that we offer a um, sibling discount and okay. um, knowing that many families have multiple children, and that's certainly the case for many of our families, we have a 10% discount on the annual tuition fee for the second child and 20% for the third child and 30% for from the fourth child. So... Um, so it's a quite good discount structure in place also for uh, for families with multiple children. Yes. And um, are there any additional fees? Um, I don't know, obviously trips, excursions, or we've talked about food. Um, is there anything significant that uh, comes on top? No, there would be no significant things uh, in, the, uh, in the tuition fees. Everything is covered, educational resources, material, all of that is covered through the, the school fees. Uh, I mentioned the lunch fee, which is a separate fee, of course, because it is not mandatory, yet it is something that um, I'd say at this time, at this point, everybody's opting in um, to the lunch program because it is a really right. good, healthy option and um, it makes sense for the families. Uh, but covered in the tuition fees, you really have everything that you need, um, uh, including if we go on excursions or field trips uh, as well. And um, if that uh, feels too much for a family or they can't manage that, but they really want to come, 
Are there any opportunities for scholarships or reductions uh, at your school? So at the moment, uh, we do not have any scholarships uh, as it is uh, as it is now. Um, since I already mentioned the sibling discount, I've got, I have sure. covered the the totality of what we offer parents uh, in terms of uh, of discounts. Um, one thing that we can do is, of course, create a more personalized payment plan, which often might be the one thing that could help uh, a family also, because it might um, it might not be the tuition fee total, but it could be the uh, the cycle of payment could be a challenge. Great. So that's something that we, of course, would would discuss with a with a family. Learn about the admissions process and how to secure a place. Okay, I want to come. I want to send my child to your school. Um, what is the uh, admissions process? You mentioned uh, that there's a couple of fees and some paperwork. How does it work? The first, the first uh, recommendation I would give you, uh, Neil, would be to go to the school's website. So I um, com and um, find our inquiry form. Very easy to find, very easy to, to fill in. It would give us as a school the basic information about who you are as a family, contact details, so that we can start the dialogue with you. Um, this, of course, uh, has no fee to it. It's uh, the sending your inquiries entirely, you know, cost free. And um, we want to keep the threshold very low because we want families to be able to seek as much information as possible. You can also call or email directly and we will follow up. So what we would first do would be to share the school prospectus and information about the academic calendar and the tuition fees so that you know also if this you know, overall is something that would fit with the, with the family. We offer a, um, either a face to face meeting or a visit to the school or, of course, a virtual visit because many of our families will not be present in our local neighborhood at the moment. Indeed. And we set up a virtual, um, meeting with the head of school. In this case, that would be myself. And, um, and we talk about our education. We talk about what we, what we are as a school, what learning looks like at ISR. And uh, this will help our families get as much understanding of who we are before they need to formalize their admissions. Um, we keep the dial, once we have the inquiry form filled in, we keep the dialogue going with our, um, administration manager. And, or our school secretary via email or via phone call. But email is also very good because we exchange information. We want parents to be able to go back and, you know, double check what was it that we actually said then. So, so it's a, it's a very easy process. Um, and it is only when fa families feel certain that they want to proceed with the admissions that we will require them to pay the admissions uh, fee, which was what Understood. I mentioned, 708 or 800 euros. Um, we are a non-selective school, meaning that admissions is open to everyone who can access an international education. We do not require particular language skills to, uh, to enter, nor do we require a particular academic background to be able to, to, uh, to seek admission to ISR. Right. One of the critical questions uh, for many parents is, is the grade level in, into which they're going. 
yeah. uh, the cut-off dates and uh, the fact that perhaps their child has been in one grade with one name uh, and then uh, is moving to another grade that perhaps has a lower name or yes. um, or indeed um, coming from a school where they've been advanced through the grades uh, uh, because they're smart and and uh, grade placement is, a, is often a really critical issue. Um, yeah. How do you deal with grade placements? Is there a cutoff date? How well do you, how, how strictly do you uh, stick to that date? What's your approach to uh, a grade placement? So grade placement it is, as you say, it can be quite challenging. Um, what is really important for us, for anyone who's already been in school, is that we, we look particularly at year of schooling. So, of course, if, if a child has already come through um, through or a child comes to us from another school, we will look at natural progression. So um, the the difference, as you mentioned, could be that we follow a American naming convention. We are not an American school. We do not follow an American curriculum, but we call our our year levels grades. And if you compare that to a British curriculum system, yes, you could be in year two and go into our grade one that could be a mental uh situation but that's that's just simply to show to you know you can easily show two naming conventions one by or side by side and say okay these these are just the different names so that's that's not the biggest challenge i think the biggest challenge is um for the children who have uh, been educated in different schools that we need to look at how many years of schooling and that it is that it is actual schooling because some nursery particularly for the younger ones it could be you know important to see that it's not a nursery that they have been to because if it was nursery it might not count as a year in school uh, yeah. and that's at the younger age where I think the cutoff age is really important for the the first admission because we do not take them before the before they're three and our cutoff right. is then at the beginning of the academic of the academic year not the january okay. to december so it would be um uh september 1st yeah. that kind yes. of date uh, uh as the cutoff yeah in, in yep. that context yeah understood um and you know imagining that a family has decided to send their child to your school. How do you help them uh, in their first uh, uh, days and weeks uh, integrate into your community? So if a family has a very young child and they are experiencing maybe starting school for the very first time, we see this as something that the whole family is going through. Kind of that, This is an experience for everyone. It's not just for the child. And often, I'd say the separation... Um, Anxiety is even maybe more so on on the account of parents that they are more um, well, you know, maybe not well afraid if I use that uh, that word, more afraid of letting go than the child is. So we help our parents um, and our learners make this transition as smooth as possible for everyone. So first of all, uh, we have a orientation day where we invite all our new families only. So they have a chance to come together. They will meet other new families. Children will be able to meet in a kind of not in a f more free environment. They're in our school, but there is no there's no um, you know classes going on. So it's simply an opportunity to meet the community. 
Even before that, the majority, if they've had a chance to visit our school, will have been um, at the school and they might have done even a trial day just as a settling in, just to help ease in. For the very young ones, we tend to do maybe a few hours only, not a full day, because if you're three years old, you don't want to be in a completely new school alone without your parents for a full day, but maybe an hour or two in the morning, and it's really exciting. That also helps uh, when coming back to school after the summer break. So apart from then the orientation morning, we absolutely invite our parents to come into the classroom with their children. We want them to be there in the morning, in the beginning, to be part of the routine, to understand fully what happens in the classroom. And But then we also want them to separate because we also see that, you know, the children cling to their parents more uh, and it might be, uh, it might seem that they need their parents, but we also know with experience that they, they really don't. They will manage very well on their own. But we want the children to understand that the parents know where they are and that they know, you know, the environment that they are in so that they can talk about this at home. So parents are absolutely invited to join uh, the children in the beginning. And again, if you're very young, so going into reception or going into uh, to kindergarten, for example, some some parents will choose a staggered uh, approach, meaning that they they might start with a couple of hours the first day, maybe go to three hours, then to four hours. Maybe maybe they spend a few days coming to a full day. That's also perfectly mm -hmm. fine. It's not a requirement from our side, so it's something we do more on a personal personalized um, level. Of course, if they are a parent of a grade four student, they will bring the child to drop off and they will say goodbye to their child. But if they want to come in, if they want, you know, we have children that I want to show my classroom to my parents, can they come in? So, yes, of course, they're absolutely welcome to come in. We, we are a family community in that respect that there, there is no, there's no strict boundaries like you stop here. Um, for many families, uh, the the school is the centre point of their own social lives as well, and uh, especially for new international families, that's the case. Um, how welcoming is your community to uh, newcomers, uh, not just the kids? Absolutely, it's a really important. It's a really, really important element of being an international school is to understand that yes, the school becomes the centre point very often for the uh, the families, not just for the children. So. Um, by taking the initiative to get together this family, uh, sorry, parent ambassador committee as well, it is with that, that uh, element in mind as well that we want to have a very conscious approach to how we can connect our families and how we can bring the families together because naturally so, we will have families who know each other because they live in the same area, but we want everybody to understand also that we are we uh, we are applying the same philosophy to our community of parents as we are applying inside the school to our learners that we want to create an inclusive environment. We are, as a family, a uh, a community that want to get together. So we have a lot of uh, really nice initiatives that brings our community together. We started the year, for example, with a beach event where we had a really nice um, celebration of, uh, of games for the students, but really a, a, um, like an aperitivo style, uh, get together for parents. And it was sure. equally important for us to, to meet both. This was not 
for the children and parents to come along. This was for both groups so that we can integrate. And, um, and our parent ambassadors also uh, help us think about um, involvements that can be good for the community of adults as well, so that people can feel that they are a, a um, integral part of our community. Let's sum everything up. Finally, probably the most important question. What do you love most about your school? <laughs> Neil, when I answer this question now, I'm actually going to answer this from a perspective of um, focusing on our parents. Because right. I, and it's a little different. There's so many things I love about our school. But sure. I absolutely also really appreciate that parents are bold enough to make really significant decisions that are not traditional decisions, that they dare to think about their children's future and that they are in that sense kind of um, pioneering being risk takers in their own communities. So I have a huge appreciation for our parent community who really steps up and says, I am going to make a very conscious choice giving my child a different education than maybe I got myself because I want my child to be a more ready to take an active part in the, the wider society. So that's something that I really, uh, really appreciate. And it's something you can feel very strongly in our community that the parents are moved by this opportunity to, uh, to be pioneering and really be future focused. So, so that's, one uh, one thing that really really makes me super excited that I am surrounded by adults who have this. Yes, we're not going to follow the stream. We're going to do something unique because we really be believe that this is the best we can give for our for our children. And of course, I have chosen to be in this field because I really believe that we as adults make significant impact on how we create a better future through our children. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Annika, for joining us today. Um, it's lovely. been a great pleasure to hear about your school uh, and to, to feel the enthusiasm that you have for it. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for inviting me. And it's lovely to have had this opportunity to talk to you. And hopefully our conversation can also uh, help parents feel that um, they are become more knowledgeable and inspired also to make choices that will be relevant for them and for their children's future. We hope you found your perfect school today. Thank you so much for being with us today. And please don't forget to subscribe and share the School Selector podcast.